Hello, 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 and welcome to another episode of Geek Steep. I'm Rika. And my name is Kelly. Kelly, it's been like six months. <laughs> How yeah. the heck are you? <laughs> I mean, I'm good. It hasn't been six months for us. We see each other almost every day. But I think we got to start with an apology for just dropping off the face of the earth for our listeners for half a year. Yeah, I mean, we really, look, this was not our intention. Um, We have so much fun doing this podcast. I've missed it terribly. I know you have as well. But um, shall we just go through the sequence of events over the the past few months that led to us uh, going silent, basically? Yeah, so shortly before our unplanned hiatus, we had mentioned that we had stopped backlogging as heavily as we used to, um, just to keep things a little more fresh and relevant so we could have, you know, conversations about the weather or, you know, new fun nerdy things in the media. And by the time you guys were hearing it, it wasn't four months down the line. So I think that's important to understand because it meant we only had about two episodes of Buffer, um, which was fine because, you know, we had some vacation time. I went on vacation for a little while. You went on vacation for a little while. And if all had been right in the world, we would have picked up with recording and you wouldn't have noticed a difference, dear listeners. But that's not how the world works. Certainly not for us. I mean, yeah, we went on vacation, well-deserved vacations. We had a lot of fun. It was great. Um, And then we came back and within a few short weeks of each other, um, good news for us, but we both got promoted at work. (laughs) So... I mean, it's exciting. I think your promotion was incredibly well-deserved. As was yours. It's fun. I mean, obviously, we're really excited about what we're taking on uh, internally. But in the past, when one of us has gone busy, the other person has been available to kind of like lift the other person up and balance. But suddenly, almost overnight, we were both very busy. (laughs) We, we were so busy. It was, it was like, oh, congratulations, congratulations. Okay, bye. Like you said, we couldn't even say, oh, do you need help with something? You know, because with these promotions come new responsibilities, different responsibilities. There's a learning curve. There's things to, to reintegrate into your work life and even your personal life. Because I don't know about you, my job doesn't end at five. I may not be answering emails, but I'm certainly making myself a cup of tea. Of course. <laughs> I joke all the time that I work 24-7. Every time I have a cup of tea, I'm doing R&D at least a little bit. Absolutely. And anytime I drink a cup of tea, I'm always like, what's the story this tea is trying to tell me? What co- what company does this come from? And what's their view on this type of flavor? You know, so um, it was great news. But we thought, hey, our listeners will understand. You know, I say 90% of our listeners are, are heavy tea drinkers. And so they would understand that, you know, um, you know, more responsibilities in the tea world would obviously take up more of our time and space and brain capacity. And then our beloved pink MacBook that we'd recorded with from the first time we started Geek Steep died unexpectedly. It just, I mean, you saw it, Kelly. It was horrible. <laughs> yeah, you, I feel like I watched you internally combust. <laughs> It was, 
It was the perfect laptop. It Mac made it one time in 2017, and it was really small and really light. It was smaller than the MacBook Air, so I could carry it anywhere. It recorded beautifully. It was like a, a, a hot pink. I loved it. And one day I opened it, um, and it looked like the screen in the Matrix. Like, it was just gone. Like, nothing. I couldn't even. Fortunately, all files have been recouped. Everything's good in terms of the actual, like, contents of the laptop. But then I kind of had to save up money to get get a new one. But here we are. We've made it. We're back. (laughs) And ready to close out the season. Not to say this is the finale, But we are in the final swing of things. Few more episodes to go. And, you know, hiatus aside, it's the end of season three. It's the end of season three. No, season two. Season two. (laughs) Season two. (laughs) What year are we in? I don't even know. No, we've been talking about season three for so long. But yeah, we basically have three more episodes left to record for season two and two more year-end wrap-ups. It's now going to be our third time doing a year-end wrap-up, our favorite tees of 2022, our favorite fandoms of 2022. So essentially for the entire month of December, there will be Geek's Deep episodes. Then we plan on taking a short break. We promise this time a short break before we kick off season three. But if my calculations are correct, Kelly, this episode, today's episode, will be airing on the 1st of December, which for us in the tea world is the first day of Advent season. (laughs) Yeah, I'm about to get busy in a whole different way. So how many Advents do you have this year? This year, I kept things restrained with a reasonable five. Well done. I'm very, very proud of you. Do you want to say which ones you'll be doing or? Yeah, sure. I have my David's Tea one this year. I chose to do the Around the World Advent, which Mm -hmm. is the brand new one. I've got my yearly 52 teas, which is one that I do every year. And then for my new ones or my kind of switch it up ones, we both have adagios this year, so yep. we'll both be doing adagio, as well as Tesaurus Tea, which is a fandom-based tea company here in Montreal. Yeah. So we're super excited to have multiple advents that overlap this year, but one of them being a fandom advent. Yeah, I mean, this is really exciting for me. Adagio, as you mentioned, we're doing it together. Um, I've had adagio teas here and there, but I'm really looking forward to getting kind of broader idea of who they are as a company and what kind of flavorings they use or how they source their teas. I don't even know if it's only flavored teas or if there are traditional teas in there. I I haven't, I'm keeping it the ultimate surprise. I really am. Um, And for Tesaurus, I am, I really, A, I'm really hoping I'm pronouncing that correctly. Me too. Um, Tesaurus. Um, It's really nice to uh, be involved or I I hate to use the word support because they're doing great. They have a tea house in the hottest neighborhood in North America, according to Time Out Magazine. (laughs) Um, And they have hundreds of blends, most of them dedicated to fandom. So it's a really geeky advent. I'm really excited to dive into that one. And I'll be doing probably the holiday classics David's Tea advent. Um, just because I want, I don't know, just 
some some candy canes, some some white chocolate, you know, like some fair. some some December like teas, you yeah, know, cozy treats, cozy treats, exactly. And so it's a nice mix of Advents, and I'm really looking forward to starting it. I know that by the 24th of December, I will be exhausted. Yep, every year, every year, because. Each new cup of tea is like five times more mentally exhausting than a than like Santa's secret. You know, like if I drink Santa's secret, I don't have to think about it. I'm just drinking it or like cinnamon oolong. I'm just drinking it. Twinings are all gray. You know, not much is happening there. I'm just enjoying my cup. But as soon as it's a new cup of tea, I go into overdrive and I'm not writing reviews like you are on Steepster, but the internal reviews that happen, Kelly, are. It's still a thought process. Yes. Yeah. My my last one is tea practitioner, and that'll close out this year's assortment. So I feel like I got a good mix of familiar, new, um, no companies this year that are brand, brand new to me companies, but like Tesoros, for example, I've had less than 10 of their blends. So it is kind of a new exploration. Yeah. It's the, it's the best time of year, honestly. It really is. Um, and my kids are doing chocolate advents and I got Steve a coffee advent, like a she, she coffee advent from Yon Brew. And I'm really excited to discuss with him the differences day to day, because to me, all coffees more or less fall into four or five flavor groupings, right? Like I don't, I can't tell the difference. So I am a tea person, but I am curious what a coffee advent, like, is there a radical, radical difference day to day that you're now comparing? I'm, I'm, ex- I'm peeking over the fence on that one, shall we say? I just kind of want to see what that means. I mean, I've seen the advent. It is packed with information. Like, they really, really wanted to set, I guess, whoever is doing it, in this case, Steve, up with, like, the most info they could Brewing instructions, origin, tasting notes. Like, it's a cool advent. It's a really cool advent. So I'm really looking forward to that. All right. Are we ready to discuss what we're drinking right now? Like, let's go back, come back into the present moment. Kelly, what's in your cup? I am drinking a cold brew today of nine berries from David's Tea. I picked it. Because I felt like with the fandom we're doing today, which if you've seen the title of the episode, you know what that fandom is, near and dear to my heart, I needed something red. (laughs) And you're drinking it out of a very red cup right now. It is like a deep primary red tumbler with like a solid black straw. It gives me very symbiote vibes. (laughs) And I just needed something red in flavor, in color. The first thing that came to mind was just like straight hibiscus, but no thanks. Pass on that. (laughs) And I landed on nine berries because in my head, it's red, yes, but also the nine berries that come together in one blend kind of remind me of this idea of superhero crossover events. Well chosen, miss. (laughs) Well chosen. This is David's Tea's Nine Berries, right? yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that that is a very good choice for the... There are so many things that we have to discuss with this as usual. But yeah, I like the fact that it feels like nine berries would be one too many berry. But it does come in very, very nicely in the cup. 
And that kind of happens in the comic as well. So Mm -hmm. nice, nice. What are you drinking? So I've gone, well, we're back in your room. I have to say, you know, we, a lot of this season we've been doing it at a distance, you know, so I've had to go into my own reserves. I'm so happy to be back in the Alexandrian library of teas. (laughs) That is your room. We are rapidly encroaching on 2000. Jeez Louise. We're within a hundred of that. So wow. Wow. A lot of selection. It's, it's a joy and, and very overwhelming, but always a joy to kind of go in. And, uh, winter has come. Winter has arrived here in Montreal as of last year. Tuesday or Wednesday um it was still kind of warm and still like unseasonably warm and we just got hit with like a massive snowstorm so winter boots hats coats everything and walking over here this morning you know over patches of ice I walked into your room and I was like I want something cozy I want something comforting I want something lightly spiced you know tis the tis the tease the season if you will and so I have um Banana gingerbread waffles by dessert by Deb, which is very heavy on the ginger, I have to say, but it's exactly what I was looking for in this morning. It's warming me from the inside and I love that. And we have it, I have it in like the most perfect like chalet cup. Like I chose a really perfect cup pairing in terms of mugs for this so it's just holding with both hands and being warmed from the inside it's hitting all the all the marks that I want it sounds so cozy in my head I don't think I ever would have thought to combine banana and gingerbread that seems like such a unique and kind of off the beaten path combination but when you stop to think about it it's kind of like oh yeah that works it works it's 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 interesting because I feel like if and Deb, you do you, okay? I'm not telling you to change anything. I just feel like when I'm drinking it, I'm more like it's gingerbread banana waffle as opposed to banana gingerbread waffle. But I don't, I mean, at the end of the day, I don't care. It's the content of the cup and not the name of the tea that really intrigues me, but it works. The banana is very subtle, but it lends an interesting body to the cup. It's not just gingerbread. There's something else there. I don't know if the banana hadn't been called out in the name. I think it would have taken me a a minute to find that banana, but I know it's there. It's it's there, but it's subtle and I love it. Mm, Sounds delicious. It is delicious. Thank you very much, Kelly, for providing me with this moment of comfort today. All right. Without further ado, after six months of waiting, (laughs) I think we're ready for the what the geek. Kelly, take it away. So this is not the first time we've covered Spider-Man. It certainly won't be the last. If you want more history on Spider-Man, you can check out our previous episodes from season one. We have another What the Geek there that talks a little bit more about Spider-Man. This What the Geek is going to be focused specifically around Carnage. First debuting in Marvel's The Amazing Spider-Man number 361 in April of 1992 as part of a three-issue mini-arc, Carnage is an American comic book supervillain. Though the first public artwork of Carnage was illustrated by Chris Marinin, the character was created by artist Mark Bagley and writer David Michelini. Typically depicted as an enemy of both Spider-Man and Venom, Carnage is a symbiote 
an extraterrestrial organism that symbiotically bonds to other living host species, and the offspring of Venom. The Carnage has had several different hosts, such as notable characters Gwen Stacy and Norman Osborn. The most infamous remains its original host, Cletus Cassidy, a serial killer whose own violent nature perfectly matched the symbiote. As the once cellmate of Eddie Brock, Cassidy was exposed to the symbiote when Venom broke Brock out of prison, unknowingly leaving behind his symbiote spawn. Like all symbiotes, Carnage's bond with Cassidy grants him superhuman abilities. However, because of the biology of the symbiote species, Carnage is a much more powerful version than its parent, and much less easily rationed with. Initial reception to Carnage was overwhelmingly positive, with fans demanding more appearances. In response, throughout 1993, Marvel published Maximum Carnage, a comic book crossover that spanned its collection of Spider-Man comic titles. This 14-part event was helmed by creator David Michelini with fellow writers Tom DeFalco, J.M. DeMatteis, and Terry Cavanaugh. In addition to Spider-Man and Venom, the crossover features numerous other heroes and villains, including, but not limited to, Cloak and Dagger, Shriek, Doppelganger, the Black Cat, Demogoblin, Carrion, Morbius the Living Vampire, and Captain America. Since first debuting in 1992, Carnage has appeared in over a dozen different miniseries and one-shots, with the most recent one, Carnage Black, White, and Blood, having been published in March of this year. The character has also been adapted for several other forms of media such as film, TV, and over a dozen different video games. In 2021, Woody Harrelson portrayed Carnage in its first live-action debut in the Sony Spider-Man universe film Venom Let There Be Carnage. I was not looking forward to doing this at all. (laughs) I'm glad we didn't start here because season one, I definitely debated this as our jumping in point for Spider-Man. We've talked about it before. Symbiotes are probably my favorite like sub kind of family villain right story arc whatever you want to call it within the spider-man universe right and so i was super excited to do something it was risky it was really risky and i'm very happy that we didn't start with that so we read spider-man maximum carnage which is i don't know how to sum it up because i feel like a lot of stuff happens in this graphic novel like a lot of stuff happens um, but let me just talk about my initial hesitancy with the symbiotes. Cause you, you said this to me before you love the symbiotes and I was just like, Oh, that's, that's neat. That's great. Um, my hesitancy comes from the fact that a, I'm not a Spider-Man person. Not that I dislike Spider-Man. I like Spider-Man a great deal, but I've never invested in reading the comics. I don't really know outside of the movies and cartoons, what his internal motivations are. He's a goody two shoes superhero who's like a teenager that doesn't necessarily always appeal to me. And when it comes to Venom, because I always thought Venom and Carnage were the same person because they look fairly identical. One is black, one is red. That's the difference. I always felt that Venom was something that comic book artists loved to draw. And if you could draw Venom, you were somehow really good or does that make sense I just feel like it reminds me of like 
a specific type of male in high school who is always drawing and and doodling and doing amazing stuff. But if you could effectively draw Venom, you were just better than everybody else. Yeah, I get it. It reminds me a bit of what I think. Oh, I hate this phrase that I'm about to say, but modern teenage comic fans treat Deadpool as. Yes, I have to agree. Yeah, and it and and Deadpool, Punisher, and Venom were all in the same category to me for a very long time. A very violent characters. Um I don't necessarily enjoy the exploration of violence be it in movie, comic book, literary form. It's not something that I enjoy particularly. Um, and Venom and Carnage looked particularly vicious, like those giant white teeth and the long slithering tongue and the kind of, you know that this character doesn't necessarily have a moral compass. Oh, so absolutely no moral compass. You know, just looking at it, you go like, oh, this could get, this, this is the stuff of nightmares. And so... I've never really been intrigued by it. Now, over the past years, Deadpool obviously has become maybe my second most favorite comic book character ever. Um, And I mean, I trust you, right? And the whole point of this podcast is to go and try new things. And so, yeah, I tried a new thing. But my first contact with this character was the Woody Harrelson movie, which I'll get into later. And just going into comic book stores as a kid, there are images of Venom absolutely everywhere. This character is beloved and worshipped. Um, but I, this is the first time I've actually, aside from the movies, sat down and read about this character. And, and it was interesting. But how did how did... How did this character come into your world? And then I have a secondary question for you that I've been dying to ask. Okay, fair enough. Uh, So I won't get into like how Spider-Man came into my world. We've told that story before. Again, Mm -hmm. if you're really interested in why I love Spider-Man, my history with it, check out our previous episode. Plug for last season. (laughs) Uh, With this one in particular, I first read it while I was living in Saskatoon. So I was like 18, 19 and I had to rent it from the library. Nice. So I, I was pretty broke. I was, you know, working part-time minimum wage. Um, definitely not bringing in enough money to have a thriving comic collection. Right. And comic volumes, typically not cheap. No, they're not. They're really not. And shout out to your local public library. Can I just say... The access that it gives you to the larger world out there. Thank you, local public libraries. Honestly. Honestly. So it took a long time to get it from the library. Not because, you know, they didn't have copies, but it's one of those comic arcs that is so beloved that it was constantly rented and Mm. constantly like on back order. I had to be on waiting lists, just waiting for eventually it to come in so that I could rent it. Right. It was in high demand and I knew that and that's why I wanted to read it. Yeah. I, I love symbiotes. I definitely started with Venom, which I think most people start with Venom Uh, who was a villain and in modern Spider-Man comics has become more of an Mm anti-hero. He went through his own redemption arc, which we do see in a little bit in uh, the volumes that we read uh, for this episode. But Carnage has always just been 
a villain. Mm-hmm. And that's why people love him. He's not... There's not gray area, you know? He's just no. unrestrained rage. And I, too, was curious, like, how does that... If it's not just a blood fest, right. how does that play out in a comic? Is this popular because it's a blood fest? Or is there a nuance here that I'm missing? And that's why I wanted to read it. Okay, so my second question is this. So throughout the course of this podcast... I don't remember what episode it was, but remember when I kind of looked at you and I said, do I have a thing for military science fiction? (laughs) Ooh, yes. Was it, it might have been Cloak and Dagger. Maybe. Yeah, I think it was Cloak and Dagger where I was like, I think I'm 40 years old. I think I was today years old when I discovered like, I think I love military science fiction, which is so strange because I'm not a particular fan of the military. I'm not against the military let's be clear but you know you discover something through yourself and through doing this podcast I've discovered this about myself and through doing this podcast with you my question to you is Kelly your relationship with violence is interesting (laughs) because you're you're not by any means a violent person in your certainly not in like uh your thought process or the way you execute things you know you you're a deliberate well thought person who's very kind and very generous but i look at the list of fandoms that you've exposed me to and the body count is ridiculous like the body so I don't want to play therapist or anything, but what what's up with that? Like, I don't know. Um, maybe you could make the argument that it's some kind of like outlet for right for that emotion that is hopefully more healthy than the alternative. <laughs> but I think more, if I'm being really honest, I like understanding other people's thought processes, mm. and I. I pride myself, especially at work, on being able to understand the intent behind other people when it comes to, like, why why do you buy a specific tea or right. what qualities would you like about a thing? And, and relating to that, I feel like I'm really good at pattern recognition mm-hmm. in regards to people's behavior and thoughts thoughts does that make sense it, it definitely it definitely makes sense because that is i think that is very this very apt description of of you and and not to say that you're only intrigued by violence because you've had you know other things that you've introduced I mean, me to princess Ste- jellyfish yeah, is prin- like the least violent <laughs> fandom we've explored possibly possibly steven universe you know like i can i can even Spider-Man in himself is very, I, I'm going to use the word wholesome, kind of, you know, you, you definitely have that side. But um, I feel like a lot of times there are fandoms that you present to me that initially make me uncomfortable. Like, that's the word is uncomfortable. Not, not just like, oh, I've never thought of doing that or uh, maybe or I don't really have an interest in it. Like, a lot of the times you'll present stuff and I'm like, oh, oh okay. <laughs> like, I mean, I like horror a lot, and right. my favorite subgenre of horror movies are slashers. Yeah, yeah, we're di- we are. I mean, we've remarked on this before. We're fundamentally different people. Like we are, <laughs> and that's what makes it great. Okay, so okay, Carnage, maximum Carnage. Even the cover of this graphic novel, which I'm staring at right now, is just blood red. 
And the action starts almost immediately. Uh, Cletus escapes. He's a symbiote. He's merged with a symbiote in a way that is different than Venom. I didn't really pick up on how it's different. Honestly, I don't care. Because at the end of the day, what it is is that this creature can like merge with you into a form of symbiosis if you will (laughs) and cover you in like a costume and really kind of alter your appearance completely it's more than just a mask like their their mouths become like eight times larger they can elongate their limbs exactly they have claws they can project weapons out of their body it's kind of dream fantasy violent comic book character And I started reading and I was upset. (laughs) I was upset. (laughs) Um, Because the amount of callous, horrible killing that happens in the first, I don't know, first two issues. It's just, I I was mad at the character. Now I understand that Cletus is a serial killer. Let's Mm -hmm. be clear. And I understand that with this great power, I was going to say comes great responsibility, but comes great carnage. I understand the intensity of the violence, but it just seemed so on, on part on the part of the writer. I felt like it wasn't treated with the seriousness that it should have because he carnage is running rampant, murdering tens of people and then eventually hundreds of people Mm -hmm. in the most gruesome, horrifying way. And it's just kind of treated as like half a page. And he's like, ha ha ha, I love murder. And then he moves on. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, can we can we pause here on the loss and the terror that this character is running rampant through New York City and just I keep using the word callous. I really feel like it's the it's the best one for it. Just just murdering people. And it's just given half a page. And that's it. And, and we're so focused on how well-spoken he is, how cool his speech pattern is, on his one-liners, on his kind of madness. There's like hundreds of people di- lying dead in Central Park. And we just kind of move on. And I was starting to get upset. I think that's one of the best and worst things about this arc right because i would describe it as a slow burn in the sense of like you need the callousness because what it's gonna build up to and the themes that it explores wouldn't be possible if they hadn't demonstrated that this is a character that no isn't rational no can't be appealed to the same way you would say like kingpin who is a mob boss but is a mob boss with emotions and ties to people Mm -hmm. and you know whatever villain you want to throw out uh hobgoblin green goblin the osborns who have deep personal ties to peter that peter can then appeal to as someone who grew up and knew them and you know was basically adopted into their family as a as a young boy we're not getting that with carnage there's no there's no rationale here there's no you know, greater person you can appeal to to talk him to his senses and convince him that killing's not a good thing. Right, because that is, and I'm, I'm skipping kind of to the end without divulging exactly what happens, but this is the realization that I came to and uh, makes me appreciate Spider-Man a little bit more and also makes me feel like 
I'm not going to be the biggest Spider-Man fan ever, is Spider-Man is most effective when he knows his villain intimately, right? Mm-hmm. Spider-Man's greatest superhero aspect is that he refuses to kill people or just, you know, destroy them. He wants to save them. A little like Jesus. And I'm going to just leave it like, but you know what I mean? There's that I would kind compare of... it to Batman if we're making a comparison. Oh, but no, but, but, but Batman doesn't want to save Joker. He just doesn't kill him. I mean, Joker's maybe not the best example, although also kind of a good example, but we'll get into right. that <laughs> Another later. <time. laughs> um, but Batman's whole thing is like rehabilitation, right? How many times has he put Harley in Arkham Asylum to get mental health treatment? Agreed. But I think Spider-Man does kind of need that. Like, like Batman will facilitate the rehabilitation by putting that person in Arkham Asylum or wherever he puts them. But Spider-Man kind of needs them to see the light before he can even put them. There's there's a bit of pontification that happens with Spider-Man more than with Batman's like, I'm going to tie you up. I'm going to deliver you to where you need to go. And with Spider-Man, it's like, you're not this person. I know you've been hurt. You can do better. With great power comes great responsibility. You know, I'm not I'm not saying he's bad for it. It's just that is his superpower. That is Spider-Man's actual superpower is the ability to see the good in anybody and to kind of try and connect with them in that way so that they can see the best of themselves. And yeah, I agree with you that the carnage at the beginning, the slaughter that happens at the beginning makes it really apparent that Spider-Man will not be able to use his greatest weapon, which is talking compassionately. Empathy. Empathy and convincing someone else to do to do what's right for I don't I hate to use the word good versus evil, but I mean at the end of the day he's trying to convince them to do good or be good or be better than who they are. So I saw the dynamic being set up. And then everybody in the Marvel universe showed up. <laughs> it's a lot. I mean it's like what? Crossovers in general, I feel like you love or you hate. And I mean, I kind of want to talk about that, too, as a concept, because this was a 14-issue crossover event that spanned, like, over a dozen Spider-Man titles. And so it was not only a crossover of different Spider-Man titles, it's clearly a crossover of well over a dozen other superhero titles, too. I mean, I read the list. Think of a hero. They're probably in there. what happened so i didn't know that we were in crossover territory at all so carnage first hooks up with this woman named shriek who is a tormented mutant is the best way to you know Mm -hmm. put it and she has the ability the ability to amplify sound and use it as a weapon in typical Marvel mutant fashion, like her secondary mutation is also like she can amplify the sound of the voice in your head to push you to do evil. Like it gets a little convoluted, but it works. I will say that they build up her mutant power in a way that I understand what's happening. Then 
dear lord, like a six-legged monster Spider-Man shows up and apparently he's from the the Infinity War, the secret Infinity War. And I was like, all right. Yeah, that's, you know. that's doppelganger. We love doppelgangers. Do we? I mean, I love <laughs> doppelganger. Someday we will tackle the Spider-Man clone saga arc. Okay. But he is one of... You know, a large handful of Spider-Man clones. Uh, Some that went well and some that went poorly. I'll let you guess what side of the coin he is on. Definitely, definitely poorly. I'd love to see a cinematic adaptation of him because I feel like they were limited because of, you know, the 2D reality that is a graphic novel. And when did this come out again? Sorry. 1993. Yeah, 93. This is pretty. This is, I mean, this is getting old. Um, they were limited to always kind of making him look like a kind of vicious pit bull, you know? And I could see in the CGI world that we are now, maybe his limbs could rotate in an interesting way. I'm sure his flying through the air would be more interesting, but he always just kind of looks like a dog, like a pet. And I mean, he doesn't really have higher brain power. Right. He, he is all animal instinct. Okay, so they got the dog, they got the doppelganger in pretty early, and I was like, all right. And then it just started, and then Demo Goblin, and okay, Kelly, look. <laughs> I, I've i had it with the flying goblins in the Spider-Man There's universe. There's a lot of goblins. There are a lot of goblins, and I feel like everyone needs to pick a fucking lane with this thing, because he's on the same glider situation and i understand that if you have spider-man you need a foe that can fly right like essentially that's where the battle's gonna happen but i was like is this green goblin who's mutated no because they mentioned at the beginning of the comic that green goblin's dead for the upteenth time okay fine yeah they go to basically his funeral (laughs) they go to his funeral they open with his funeral harry osborne's funeral and i'm like all right it's not him then i was like oh is it that other dude it was very and he seems he's like a religious fanatic yes goblin who wants to like cleanse the earth of sinners and Mm -hmm. these these characters kept coming in to the point where i was like what who uh whatever like i just accepted them because it was every three pages for a while there was somebody new introduced and then on the good side we've got spider-man being joined by a cloak and dagger our favorites our (laughs) if you haven't you should check out our cloak and dagger episode it was our first proper intro to the Cloak and Dagger comics. And uh, we had mixed opinions. It was just like, oh, great. These two are here. Fantastic. And then Black Cat comes and I'm like, okay. I, can. I mean, she's great. She's great. She's fine. I don't know that much about her, but I've, I'm never sad to see her. Who else showed up? Venom. Venom Venom's showed an up. important one. Venom shows up and he makes a tentative alliance with Peter Parker, which was predictable but enjoyable all the same because their banter back and forth is very well written. And I will say that the banter and the writing on this is phenomenal. It's really, really good. It's not emotionally deep, but it's a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. I, I came away enjoying a lot of one-liners. It got a little repetitive. I think they said... That the heaviness of the situation covered Spider-Man in soot like three times. And I was like, y'all need to get a thesaurus, find another analogy. I know it's 1993, so you don't have Google, but it got, sometimes it was a little clunky and a little lazy, 
But then they would come out with some really good one-liners that I was that were like Deadpool worthy level stuff where I was like, okay, this is really, really, really well written. And then by the time Captain America showed up, I was like, oh, okay, so this is just a versus. I know the crossover it's called crossover, but in my mind it's just versus. We want to see different good versus evil characters fight off over and over and over again. And it just got kind of epic from there on out. So I have I have two questions relating to that. Question one, I guess more generally speaking, do you think crossovers are a good thing? Because some people love them because they introduce you to characters you might not otherwise be exposed to. It's a good way to branch off into new comic arts and kind of get a hint of what you'll be getting into. Some people hate them because they get really convoluted. Right. Um, often you're forced to watch characters that you don't know and don't understand the history of. Mm-hmm. So where do you fall on the crossover spectrum? I don't know that I agree or disagree with either point that you just brought up. I like a good crossover when a character needs to be confronted with something that I either they haven't thought of or something they have thought of and have refused to accept. And so there's only so much inner monologuing I can handle in a comic because it's clunky, um, because it's limited to like what's on the page. It's not like a novel where like an inner monologue almost makes more sense or the reasoning makes more sense. Sometimes you do need to be in a graphic novel confronted with another character in order to just move the story along, right? And as soon as you have... Like, I've never read a Captain America in my life. I have no idea. I've had no interest in reading Captain America comics. I've read Avengers. I've read Ultimate Avengers and things like that. But, like, a Captain America standalone, I haven't. But as soon as Captain America appeared, you know kind of what Spider-Man's going to be complimented by or confronted by. A character I don't know at all was Morbius. I've heard the name. But again, I see the living vampire with the limitation of a hyperbaric chamber. I'm like, okay, I understand, A, what your limitations are going to be. You can only fight at night, I'm assuming, and I was correct. Um, You're probably going to have less of a sense of doing good than Spider-Man. So like Venom, Spider-Man's going to be confronted with his own morality and what he's willing to do. Um, and then you just have more um, weapons in your tool belt, right? Now now it's, you know, characters with guns or characters with vibranium shields or characters with microwave powers, which I'm not going to unpack. But there is a character whose power is microwave, which I don't understand. Um, but it's fire. It's basically fire. It's fancy fire. Um, so I like them if it serves the story. And the problem I had here is that for a good chunk of the middle, it doesn't serve the story. It's almost more of a distraction than it is pushing the story along. Because while they're all like, Captain America, what are you doing here? Like, Carnage is murdering hundreds of people. Oh, yeah. Real, real killing spree. Like, a massive killing spree down Fifth Avenue, Manhattan, nary a cop to be found like it's really it's really extreme and they're like okay we have to regroup and it's like do you do you have to regroup i feel like some of you should regroup and some of you should go and go away just go away and try and stop this or or help people shelter in place or something you know um 
So I'm I'm not to answer your question. I'm not a hundred percent against crossovers. I just think it's a really hard thing to do well, and it's an easy thing to use to distract from the main story. So I like maybe three crossovers in my whole life. That's fair. I like crossovers at a cap, right? Like for me, <laughs> right? this is this is too many cooks in the kitchen. Yeah. I think once you get past, let's say, four heroes tops. Right. That's your limit. Right. Anything you need to explore, you can do. Yeah. You've got four people that, yeah, I have to agree. Mm-hmm. You can, like, triangulate the basic human emotions and you've got it. But it just felt like they were adding people for the sake of adding people. And I I, I didn't hate it because at the end they were able to use everybody's powers to defeat the bad guy and I didn't see it coming and good on them for that. But yeah, too many cooks. I have to agree. Question two, were there any heroes or villains that were introduced in this crossover where you did have that moment of like, huh, okay, maybe I would check them out. I feel like I would maybe potentially check out Morbius um if only because because we like vampires because i like vampires yeah i want to i'm going to be super super blatant about that i like vampires i'm intrigued by vampires in this world i feel like mythic creatures within comic book like again how are they going to bring mutants and spider-mans and avengers and blades and all of these different elements into the same universe i'm always really intrigued at how they balance that out um so maybe morbius there's that dude who's like in space with the cybernetic equipment yeah i don't really know any of his history outside of I don't want to learn. I don't care. There were definitely more characters that I was less intrigued by. Maybe Morbius. That's fair. I felt like it made me appreciate Cloak and Dagger a little more. Just a little. No. (laughs) (laughs) You know, fair enough. Fair enough. You know who it didn't make me appreciate, though? So, I think I've said this on the podcast before. Maybe I haven't. I prefer... (laughs) Gwen Stacy. You have. I very much prefer Gwen Stacy as Peter's love interest. I hate MJ. And I feel like this is one of her worst arcs. She's ridiculous. <laughs> she didn't bother me. Oh, it drives me insane. I, I, and I don't know if it's because I know it drives you insane that I keep waiting to jump on the, oh, we hate MJ bandwagon. But, like, I was reading it, and I was like, she's fine. Like, she's fine. She's so whiny. She's so whiny, and all she wants is Peter to stay home and not confront (laughs) the mass serial killer. She's like, I get that she cares about him. I get it. I'm human. You know, I wouldn't want my husband to go out and die either. But there is a point where you're like, my person... Or a thousand people. Like, she knew what she was getting into. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I still... No, I think if... Okay, look. If Steve was Spider-Man. Okay, I'm trying to put it in that context. I feel like I feel like I would feel exactly the same way as Mary Jane. Where I'd be like, I rationally understand that you're one of the only people who can do this. But, like, maybe you're not. You know, there's a kind of, like, maybe you're not. Maybe you're outgunned. Maybe you're outmatched. So she doesn't annoy me in that sense. Here's what I'll say, though. 
are they the greatest couple no. in yeah no i think i think <laughs> no. that's i i agree with you on that point where they're kind of held up as like marvel's second couple maybe after mr fantastic and the invisible woman or whatever um they're always kind of held up as like one of the great romances in superhero Just lore fight all the time yeah and i don't see that <laughs> and i've never seen that like batman catwoman yeah that's an interesting relationship superman wonder woman also interesting um I feel like I could name like eight better couples than Peter Parker and Mary Jane. I could name like eight better couples that Peter Parker has been a relationship (laughs) with within the Spider-Man comics. Like Cat, uh, uh, Black Cat is someone Peter has had a relationship with. Oh, really? Okay. And it's way more interesting than MJ. (laughs) Way more. Okay. But you know the the what's that old saying the 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 heart has its reasons that reason has no heart I don't remember what it is but the, the heart wants what it wants man he wants MJ it's the girl next door it's the dream I I'm not mad at her she's scared for him I was way more upset at Peter's dad yeah he's like calm ass. down you know he's like humanity's worthless and blah, 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 blah. And I was just like, you're just, you've been put in a Soviet prison for 20 years as a writing device to challenge Peter. And I feel like Peter's been challenged enough. Like I I was, I didn't understand his inclusion in the saga at all. Yeah. It was not necessary. The carnage and the abject violence and the good versus evil i mean this is where they got me in the end this is i'll tell you where they got me in the end where i was like okay this is good versus evil because it's always good versus evil right (laughs) it's always always good versus evil but it's how much would you compromise your morals to beat the evil and that is another one a that's a subject that i am fascinated by uh b is a subject that's been explored a thousand different ways but it's almost at the end that they really got me where I felt like they really had compromised a lot and they kind of decided not to compromise anymore and that's how they won. It was an interesting change, you know? It wasn't like, okay, so we actually had to murder him, which is essentially what happened, but it was unintentional. I don't know. It's complex and it's not something that I've... I really tried last night to think of, like, how am I going to sum up how I liked how they wrapped it up. And it's kind of one of those things, dear listeners, that you got to read. You got to read because it's a lot of setup and it's a lot of plotting through blood and murder and, you know, characters pontificating about why their method is better. But that last like 20 pages is just really, really well written. And I really enjoyed it. I think it's not the smoothest arc in the world, there are comic arcs that are consistent from start to finish. Right. I feel like this one really has peaks and valleys, but the payoff is just so good yeah. that I get why it's one of the most famous Spider-Man arcs, mm-hmm. why it's so beloved even by people who aren't hardcore Spider-Man fans who gravitate towards Carnage as a character and as an exploration. I get it. I really do get it. So I have one more kind of question slash talking point. Okay. Bigger, broad spectrum. But before that, I just, I have to have it on the record that I haven't reread Maximum Carnage in a while. 
and the last time I read it was pre the Donald Trump era. <laughs> and there is a very large Donald Trump tangent that happens early on in this arc. And boy, oh boy, did that pull me out of it. <laughs> did it? Because this was 1993. It. I mean, I don't think Trump has always been like no. a good guy. And I think that's very known. But this is like really like... Like pre-politics Trump. Right. Oh yeah, yeah. This is this is this is Pizza Hut commercial Trump. This is Ivanka and you know uh it didn't pull me out of it as much, I think, because I've had other Trump moments like that. Like, um, what's that movie with Macaulay Culkin? Home Alone Two? Mm-hmm. Where yeah, he just like appears weird. and you're like, ah like <laughs> We've also had weirder like moments of oh Pop culture now doesn't reflect pop culture then. Even a Spider-Man example, when we watched the animated series, the Twin Towers were intact. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. That was a weird moment. Yeah, we ha- there have been moments like that that pulled me out of it. Um, what I appreciated, I noticed it. What I pulled out of that moment was very much how I've always appreciated that Marvel takes place in our world. Mm-hmm. And it was such a New York City 90s moment to mention Donald Trump. You know, it was almost like just take a uh, copy of the New York Post, you know? Like, it was it was wild. Okay, so how did you pair this, Kelly? So I had a really hard time picking a tea. I feel like anytime I know something intimately. I either have an idea right away or it takes me ages to come up with something. And it's especially hard for like something you're sitting down and reading over a extended period. What I landed on was a Shung Puer from White 2T called Biscuits. They're like 2020 Biscuit Shung. Um, for no reason other than I thought this would be a good comic to sit down and gong fu with. Um, really reflective and meditative. And there's, I mean, it's a, it's a thin reason. I like what I picked today way better um, <laughs> than what I ended up doing. But it just, it has a really nice red fruit note. And all <laughs> I could think about was like, whatever I do should be red. That works. I mean, yeah, I want to say that if you're pairing this for the first time, red is definitely where you want to go. It's kind of what I thought of doing. And then I fell upon Screamsicle by Brutalities. (laughs) Yeah, that feels right. It was really right. So A, I love orange creamsicle flavoring. Always have, always will. It's a black and a rooibos together. It's got like that vanilla cream kind of orange flavor. Really important that you pick a tea when you're reading a graphic novel or doing any kind of geek that's really long to pick something that you're going to want to re-drink or gung fu or have several cups of. And the flavoring is not super intense. It's really mellow and nice. And it's called Screamsicle. Yeah, that's the vibe. It's the vibe. So it really worked out for me. I really enjoyed it. I had maybe three or four cups of it and it was just perfect but yeah i think if anyone wants to pair this like red fruit let's not overthink it like really red fruit it or gong fu it uh gong fu something for the long haul if not screamsicle by brutalities i loved it loved it loved it loved it i don't think i'm gonna restock this one that's fair did it make you appreciate the symbiotes in general a little more like if not carnage venom not really fair enough fair enough 
I don't dislike them, but I don't know. I want to know more about their world. I want to understand their social structure. I want to know how they survive in space. But not even enough to Wikipedia Google it. Like, I'm going to be totally honest. But it's it's good. And I would recommend it to anybody. But I don't I don't need to know more. It's fair. I feel like people know where I'm at <laughs> yeah, in I mean, terms obviously. <laughs> of, of the symbiotes. I recently started reading Toxin, which is another symbiote spinoff, uh, like, mini comic series. It's very short. And it's really interesting. Um, I won't get, like, get too into it, but... If you, like, Venom is the anti-hero, Carnage is the villain, Toxin is a hero hero. Okay. So if you want a different perspective on symbiotes that is more positive, Toxin's really interesting. You know, you've convinced me before. You'll probably do it again. I'm not against it. Um, That sounds interesting. Just your synopsis, I'm like, mm, that sounds interesting. Especially, like, to have a character of named Toxin be a hero. There's something there. There's something there for sure. But yeah, it was a fun fandom. It was good. I enjoyed myself. I I mean, I, I've missed doing this with you. So there was a great, you know, push to to read this. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit more excited about next week. I'm not gonna lie. I mean, I'm really is, excited about next week. It is your choice of fandom. <laughs> However, I'm also really excited about next week. It's gonna be let me it's gonna be weird. It's gonna be weird. It is the best teaser you can give. <laughs> and on that lovely note, thank you for joining us after half a year. <laughs> thank you. Yeah, thank you for sticking with us. We've missed you. Um, you know, hit us up on Instagram. Tell us what you've been drinking. Any fandoms you think we should explore. We love hearing feedback. Love hearing from you guys. And uh, yeah, Geek Steep is back. Bye. Have a great week. <laughs> <laughs>